0: Welcome to another Dragonland Saga review episode. It is Misham Frost Frostcult the 15th. <laughs> my name is Adam and today I'm going to give you my spoiler review. Spoiler, it's it's the book about history. Uh, about uh, Slaying the Dragon, The Secret History of Dungeons and Dragons by Ben Riggs. Now I will be spoiling this story so if you don't want to hear it without having read it yourself, you know, stop watching and stuff. Um, I would like to take a moment to thank the members of this channel. Thank you. And invite you to consider becoming a member by visiting the link in the description below. You can even pick up Dragonlance Game of Materials and this book by using the affiliate links. And I uh, get my beak wet just a little bit. Get like a quarter of a penny. <laughs> and that's good enough to keep the lights on. I suppose. Hey, D20, how you doing? So anyone who's joining after the fact of me starting this rant about this book, uh, chime in on your thoughts. I want to hear what you think about TSR. I want to hear what you think about Lorraine Williams. I want to hear what you think about Wizards of the Coast. Because I'll tell you this. After having read this book, my opinion of Wizards of the Coast has changed completely. Specifically the owner of Wizards of the Coast, not the corporation that it is today. But what they did and the decisions they made, my opinion completely shifted. A full 180. And in, in all of my complaints that I used to have, I now understand why they made those decisions that they did, and um, yeah, so we'll get into that here in just a second. I'm not going to give you a play-by-play of like chapter by chapter. I'm just going to riff on a couple points that I found particularly interesting. I highly recommend that if you enjoy Dungeons and Dragons as a game, uh, or maybe you just like it as a a, a a construct that you know you don't particularly play all the time yourself. If you enjoy hearing about the history of of corporations, this one specifically, you know just. Off the top of my head, the Apple book also is amazing. But anyway, uh, about this is, uh, it's really interesting. And it's completely worth the time. It's a very fast read, you know, it doesn't take very long. I got, had the Kindle version, so I don't know how many pages it is, but it was uh, really fast. <laughs> I went to a couple allergy appointments where you have to like, you know, asthma shots. Uh, and uh, you have to sit there for like 30 minutes while the shot is sort of circulating in your body to make sure you don't die. So uh, I just sat there and read it, and I finished it quickly. So I think you guys will really enjoy it if you dig that stuff. And growing up in the 80s, 70s and 80s, TSR, just the letters, the logo of TSR was a promise of escape into a completely different realm for me. I would... Like, regularly, with all my friends, we would go down to the mall, not to go look for girls, though we did do that from time to time, but primarily we'd go to go to the gaming shops and the bookstores, and we would just look at the different Dungeons & Dragons material that TSR was releasing, that were just displayed on the shelves, and there was tons of box sets and figures, and there was comics, and there was uh, comic modules, if anyone ever remembered any of those. Um, Tons of novels... And then just the source books. And you had it like just entire rows of not just first edition, which was awesome, but you had second edition at one point as well, which sort of blew everyone's mind. And he forced you to rebuy all the books and stuff to, to get the new updated version, which really wasn't that different, but it was different enough to convince people to buy a bunch of new books. Um, even though they changed out a bunch of crap. I want to talk about the editions here in just a second because. For those of you who like 2nd edition more than 1st, after knowing why they made 2nd edition, you should smack yourself in the face right now. Just, whap, as hard as you can, because you're wrong. It's okay to be wrong. You have every right to be wrong. Feel however you like. But you're wrong. You're part of the problem, man. All right. Um, you went to college in Seattle from 88 to 92. You remember seeing WotC book at a game store there before they bought out Magic and their purchase of D&D? Yeah. A WotC book in 92. I don't know. How, like it had to be a Magic the Gathering book because they didn't buy TSR till like 97. And uh, boy, did they... Uh, they were good people. I mean, just the, the, the CEO of Watsi genuinely stand up, dude. And he righted every wrong that Lorraine Williams had made. I mean, to everyone from artists to game designers, to authors, everyone. I mean, amazing. He's, he's just one of those CEOs that you have. whether you like what Wizards of the Coast is doing today or not is a completely different thing. The CEO at the time was amazing. And we'll, we'll get into that here in just a second here too. Andrew, thanks for joining live. You can't remember how you first got into Dragonlance. Your mother can't remember either, but she was the one who brought the books and video games for me. Well, if you can't remember and she can't remember either, you probably came out of the womb and the doctor was rolling dice to see how, how you would react to being born. And so it was literally in your DNA. <laughs> it's just like back then what they would do is as soon as you were ready to have the baby, the doctor would have to like quickly roll a dice, check out the chart, and depending on you, <laughs> this is gonna sound bad, depending on your race, depending on the class that your mother and father wanted you to be, uh, then you would find out what you had to get to be a normal kid, you know, for 10 fingers and toes. And uh, that's how it worked. Anyway, that's what I was told. I just assumed it was true. Uh, Chris, how are you doing? Thanks for doing live, man. Okay, so anyway, this is by Ben Riggs. I don't know him as an author. I I have zero connection with him, but I'm impressed by what he did. Um, He reached out to everyone and had massive long, like, month-long conversations with a lot of really interesting game designers, artists, um, industry professionals, and uh, different CEOs. The only person that he was unable to talk to because she refused, and you can't really argue why... Is Lorraine Williams. She has been lambasted so much by everyone in the industry, in some cases completely justifiably, and in others perhaps not so much, um, that she didn't want to talk to anyone else about any of this. Because again, this is a huge black mark as a businesswoman that she was. She had no connection to games or gaming, she didn't even care for it, she didn't even like it. Um, but she saw it as a business opportunity, and so she used her business acumen, which obviously was very bad, <laughs> in order to run this company. And one thing that came out in this book that I found so stunning was that it was a culture of secrecy, the business side of TSR. As soon as Lorraine Williams secretly and connivingly bought out and forced out Gary Gygax, she kept everything secret from everyone. So if you're a game designer and you're producing all this amazing content and you're putting it out there, you had no idea how well it sold. All you knew was that the boss, Williams, told you to continue pumping out product and you continue to pump out product and you never understood why the business wasn't doing spectacularly. Quite frankly, no one really knew how the business was doing. They just guessed. So that's part of the problem. But this goes not just during the TSR era, this goes back way to the very beginning before TSR was even founded. When you had uh, Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax getting together and combining their two games into what would then become Dungeons & Dragons. And of course we had a whole bunch of starter sets throughout the years all the way into the 90s of different versions of starter sets as Dungeons & Dragons not advanced began to sort of evolve and the the rules started to shift and change and they brought in more you know options for the different campaign worlds and stuff it's very interesting because everyone sort of puts Gary Gygax up on this pedestal but he was the war gamer he wasn't the role player Dave Arneson was the one that came through with the role playing of Dungeons and Dragons and so it was the two of them together that really made Dungeons and Dragons work What was interesting is that Gary Gygax forced out Dave Arneson in a very similar way that he was then later forced out by Lorraine Williams. In fact, when he created Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, Gary Gygax refused to give Dave Arneson any royalties at all because he said it was a completely different game than Dungeons & Dragons. Unbelievable. And yes, there are fundamental rule differences between the two, but I don't think anyone, any gamer at least, who cut their teeth on Dungeons and Dragons and then went to Advanced Dungeons and Dragons thought it was a completely different game. No, it was an advanced version of the game that they cut their teeth on. Totally different than saying it's a completely different game. So I thought that was way underhanded and shitty of Gary Gygax, and it completely changed my view of Gary Gygax, especially when you look at what he was doing financially, and when he went out to um, the West Coast, and he was trying to get his movies made, and the lifestyle that he had over there, meanwhile, people back in Wisconsin were struggling to survive under the the weight of the uh, Williams um, reign, I guess you could reference it as. Uh, It was really kind of terrible. So, ST, thanks for joining live. Uh, Next to Lord of the Rings in the 80s, Dragonlance books were your go to, had both Chronicles and Legends box sets. Um, That's very cool. I had those too. So, the Lord of the Rings was very interesting. I didn't know this. During the TSR era, where uh, Lorraine Williams was in control, like total control of it, she actually sent one of her men out to London to talk to the um, Tolkien estate about making their uh, uh, Lord of the Rings game. Because at the time, the Middle-earth role-playing game wasn't a big deal and they were going to go through a new gaming process of creating new role-playing system. Um, but they also, because they were selling so many role um, fantasy novels at that time, they were approaching the Tolkien estate saying, hey, we not only wanna make this role-playing game with you, we wanna write prequel and sequel novels. And they flipped out They're like, no one writes Lord of the Rings except for Tolkien, and he can't write them anymore, so they can't be written. How dare you get out? It's shocking. Like Right now, nowadays, we understand how wildly protective the Tolkien estate is over its IP. Back then, no one really had a clue because no one really tried to do anything with it. And so to see that the reaction from that nowadays would have been like yeah of course they would never entertain that but back then yeah of course they're gonna try they want to make money court how you doing thanks for joining live you're very curious about the book i highly recommend you buy it and you read it because it's good i mean really really good uh solid company how you doing you still like the story of tsr hiring a marketing team in the early 80s that did extensive research and came back with you have a lot of dragons dungeons you need more dragons yeah i thought that was really funny too like, no duh. And that, of course, is the birth of um, Dragonlance as a system, ultimately, but as a, a campaign world. So as soon as um, Gary Gygax saw the massive success that he had with Dungeons & Dragons with Dave Arneson, he decided he wanted to create a more advanced version of it and created Advanced Dungeons & Dragons, cut out Dave Arneson entirely out of the royalties, and tried to maintain absolute control. Ultimately, he was not a businessman. He brought in the Bloom Brothers. This is not Bloomhouse, House, <laughs> not the amazing horror film producers, but um, the Bloom Brothers came in and they obviously had no idea how to run a gaming company. In fact, because TSR was really the first big time gaming company, no one knew how to role, you know operate a role-playing game company. All they knew was that there was an audience that wanted the product. And then as soon as uh, the satanic panic hit, everyone wanted the product. And this is why I think Christians as a whole, not individuals, as a whole, are not too bright. Hear me out. If you tell someone, you just put them in a room with a big red button and you say, don't touch the button." What do you think is gonna happen? Honestly, what do you think is gonna happen? They're gonna touch the damn button. So when you tell people there are demons and devils and female human sacrifice and rituals, you need to stay away from this satanic devil game. What do you think is gonna happen, you dummy? Of course, kids are going to be drawn to it. You know why? Because hell has cookies. People want cookies. Whether it's the hand in the cookie jar, touching the red button, or playing Dungeons & Dragons in the 80s, you tell them not to do it, they're going to do it. Why no one ever thought about uh, like not going on some big rant about it, knowing that it had massive, dr- like, complete massive draw for gamers and young boys to then want to buy it and read about it. Not that they wanted to play with the devil but that they wanted to do what they're not supposed to do. That is just human nature. I mean, just ridiculous. Hey, Jason, thanks for tuning in. So, um, yeah, this panic panic ended up backfiring on every one of those crazy Christians that cried devil worship with gaming because they were completely wrong and lying and making stuff up, not just about Satanism as the religion, but as Dungeons & Dragons as the gateway to Satan, obviously, but then also there lies about, um, ritual sacrifice, um, uh, uh, satanic abuse. Like it was all made up. It was, and it's all been proven to be made up through like federal investigations. I mean, it's ridiculous. And so that gave Dungeons and Dragons a huge boon and they saw windfall profits. Now we see this echoed in COVID lockdowns and the huge windfall profits that Dungeons and Dragons and popularity that Dungeons and Dragons saw then. And we're now seeing that taper off, though I don't know if WotC is taking the exact same lesson that TSR suffered from. They're thinking, hey, let's double down and make more money and make it more accessible to everyone. And we're gonna continue to see this exponential growth. And they're suddenly now realizing, oh, we were, we totally misjudged that. (laughs) However, they can accept those faults because they have the money. TSR didn't, and so they what, what TSR would do in order to make sure that they could continue pumping up product, they, would, they made a deal with Random House, which no one else knew about except for Lorraine Williams at the time and her uh, lawyers, and that was that Random House would prepay for every product that was shipped to them on the assumption that it would sell, and so if it sold, they didn't have to you know, send anything back to TSR, and TSR already had all the money from the sales, then everything was great. But what ended up happening was that TSR would make tons of product, ship it out to a Random House, take immediately all of the money from those sales, but the product didn't sell. And so Random House would ship back all the products saying, you owe us money back now because the product didn't sell." TSR didn't have the money to give them back. And so what did tsr do they created more product shipped it out to random house random house then gave them the check saying okay well here's all the the money for the products you just shipped us not not mentioning the, the debt that still has to be paid and that debt just exponentially grew and grew and grew over a decade it ended up getting so bad that random house sued him but if that was the only decision that tsr made that was terrible I mean, that's just bad business sense and you could just sort of write it off. But it wasn't. What TSR did habitually was bring in unknown talent, grow that talent into true mastery, and then refuse to acknowledge that talent. And so the talent went elsewhere. Now that acknowledgement can come in the form of monetary compensation. It can come in the form of keeping original artwork that you created. In some examples. But ultimately, what would happen is that TSR would bounce between right and left foot of saying, okay, as an artist, you can keep all the artwork that you create, the original prints, into you have to give us all those, those are our property. And then they would bounce from saying, Hey, we're gonna give you this wonderful deal about writing all these novels to these brand new authors. And they gave a lot of people some really great offers, like Mark Weiss and Tracy Hickman um, uh, uh, Salvatore, uh, who did the, dr- uh, drow books for Forgotten Realms. Um, uh, the guy who did the, the Ravenloft book, uh, the, um, I can't remember his name right now. Anyway, they did it to a whole bunch of authors where they said, here, you get it, this cut, this percentage of sales of the book that you're writing and you're basically writing on in specs. So you get a very little amount of money in order to write it. And then, but the real benefit is that For every sale, you get X percent. And so authors like Mark Weiss, Chase Hickman, and Salvatore would make tons of money from the sales of their books because people wanted them. And what uh, the industry saw, the the, uh, writing industry saw, was that because this was a Dungeons Dragons-based fantasy genre, they were not respected like other fantasy writers out there. And um, TSR refused to give them uh, royalties after a while because one, they couldn't afford it. And two, they brought in someone from a um, uh, New York publishing agency in order to run the book publishing group who treated the authors like garbage. And so the authors understandably left And this happened over and over again throughout the years. They they would end up threatening them saying, hey, if you don't write Drizzt in this book and pump out nine books in one year, then we're going to hire some other author to write your character. Of course, they're going to get pissed and leave and then sue you for not paying the royalties, which they ended up stopped paying in breach of contract. Again, because they didn't have the money to pay. Lorraine Williams wasn't always terrible, though. Um, she actually took care of a lot of uh, the people that were working there. Bill Connors is one example. His wife got sick and he had to leave, but he was such a valuable employee that Lorraine refused to take his resignation letter and allowed him to keep his full salary and take as much vacation time as he needed in order to take care of his ill wife. That's great business operation sense. Like that, that Leadership-wise, that is the best thing you could possibly do for someone. But she would do stuff like that, and then on the other hand, not pay royalties out to artists or to, to uh, authors. She would treat the game designers like garbage, like they were below her. And then she would foist Buck Rogers as, as like this upcoming uh, game system because her family just happened to own it. They made tons of bad decisions from buying embroidery companies because it was part of their family, the Bloom brothers did this, to um, foisting Buck Rogers as a potential opportunity. But then they went even further and not just pissing off Random House, their exclusive distributor. They refused to pay their publisher, the people actually publishing the books because they didn't have the money to pay because they couldn't get Random House to sell their product because the product wasn't selling. (laughs) So they just kept building this horrible process and, and they would they would forecast their whole year of product manufacture. So you could not make any sort of um, shift throughout the year to develop new competing products with other RPG um, uh, producers because you had already pre-sold the products that you should have been making that year at the beginning of the year. So one, it would give you a huge influx of cash on pre-orders but that meant that you could not be nimble at all as a business throughout the entirety of the year. And you were forced into creating products that in most cases, the audience didn't want in the first place. And what they realized quickly, TSR as a company, was that they made more money from starter set books and box sets than they did supporting pamphlets and booklets. And so they would continue to pump out new starter set books, year after year after year. Not just of basic Dungeons & Dragons, but also advanced Dungeons & Dragons. And then they saw that with a new campaign box set release, they would see a lot of really wonderful sales, but then diminishing returns on further supplements for that campaign. And so they would not only pump out new Dungeons & Dragons starter sets, they would pump out new campaign settings. Over and over and over again every year in order to try to recapture that satanic panic money influx that they saw back in the day it never realized in every single new campaign they released, they saw diminishing returns, not just in the supplements to support that new setting, but in each subsequent setting. Um, This forced them to not only continually rethink and restructure, but it forced them to decide, we're going to do a second edition of Dungeons & Dragons to make everyone have to buy all the products again. Not because it's going to be a better decision for the game, but because we need to have people buy more products so that we're no longer in debt. So instead of giving people what they actually wanted, they forced ideas onto the customer base. And this, of course, saw diminishing returns through the lifespan of their cycle of products. So TSR would continually pump out all of these products. And what Watsi realized once they finally got a hold of TSR and bought it was that and and no one had known this because no one had seen the figures that worked there except for the lawyers and Lorraine Williams. And so as soon as uh, Wizards of the Coast bought TSR finally in the late 90s and they looked at all the spreadsheets, they realized that they are actually cannibalizing their own audience because Dungeons and Dragons as a game system was three books. But as soon as you start adding in campaign settings, people became loyal not to the game system, but brand loyal to the campaign setting like this channel. And so they would not buy the Ravenloft setting. They would not buy the Planescape setting. They would not buy um, the Mistara setting that they tried to relaunch. They would not buy the Forgotten Realms setting if they were into one of the other campaign settings or Dark Sun. And there, there ended up being like 20-some-odd different settings that had different levels of support that they released. It was insane. And so each of the players of these settings that they were sold as being the best setting by the company refused to buy the other settings. And so they just saw diminishing returns over everything. And so Wizards of the Coast realized that they had been sacrificing their brand so much um, that they actually were their own problem, which makes perfect sense about how Wizards of the Coast is operating now. Agree or not, They're focusing everything through the lens of Dungeons & Dragons. They don't use the logos for the different settings anymore because they don't want you to think of the settings as campaigns. They want you to think of the setting as an option in Dungeons & Dragons multiverse. It perfectly makes sense, which I never understood before. So I completely understand it, even though I absolutely disagree with the decisions. that's why it's all just about the dollar. They want to make sure that Dungeons & Dragons fans are not campaign-setting fans. They're the system fans. And this started in 3rd edition. That was the 1st edition that Wizards of the Coast developed as soon as they finished the purchase of TSR. But TSR, that story is not over by a long shot. TSR would go on to see all of these successes in movies based on comic books. You know, superhero films back in the day. Um, And they realized that no one wanted a Dungeons and Dragons film, they wanted superhero films. And so they thought, well, if comic books are being made into big motion pictures and Dungeons and Dragons is not, then Dungeons and Dragons needs to make comic books and then the film industry will make movies off of the comic books. And so they went to DC for exclusive rights of making these whole series of books, which they did. But then they thought, this is a little bit too easy. So while DC Comics is making all of these different comics for TSR, TSR starts a whole new um, uh, TSR West group, and they decide to start making comics. But in order to prove to DC Comics that it wasn't in violation of their contract of exclusivity, they were called Comic Modules, and they would include little adventures at the back end of the comics that they were creating. But because they did that, no one knew where to put the products, and no comic reader wanted to rip pages out of their books to play these modules. So they completely misunderstood the industry that they were breaking into, they shot themselves in the foot by going against DC, which explains why DC stopped producing the Dragonlance line immediately, and like out of nowhere, because TSR was underselling them with their own business. It was amazing. Uh, hey, Legacy d thanks so much for tuning in, I appreciate you. Uh, all right, so that explains the, the comics, you know, kicking off with DC and then immediately being cut off. And explains why they even went into comics in the first place is because they always wanted to make movies, they didn't want comics at all. They just thought one led to the other and so they went that route. Then they started seeing that the books that they were putting out there were more popular than the game products that they were selling. And so they thought, let's do this whole new industry of books, which is when they went to Tolkien Estate and tried to do the Lord of the Rings thing. But throughout the entire line of every single different series of books that they released, nothing was more popular than Dragonlance. I have nothing to do with it. I don't get a taste of any of those funds. I just like knowing that. That makes me feel good inside don't really know why it just does so they kept pumping out books like left and right and forcing authors and getting new authors to come in and and write new books and again they treated their authors so poorly that the authors ended up going of course they would hit new york times bestsellers because there's a huge like need for Dungeons and dragons novels out there for fans i was one of those people um and so uh, those authors would go off to different publishing houses like Del Rey and stuff, and then they would make tons of money there and become publishing, uh, New York Times bestselling authors there as well. And then uh, TSR would continually try to bring them back to reinforce or reinvigorate uh, the, the different campaign settings that they were trying to create, a la the <laughs> War of Souls trilogy with uh, uh, Margaret Weiss and Tracy Hickman. So it's just so funny to see the, the business side decision seen through the lens of product releases when we thought as fans they were creating all of these different product and module options and box sets because they wanted to support the fans but really it was just to try to pay down debt to random house it had nothing to do with the fans the game designers were doing their best in order to make products that were worthwhile and fun But it wasn't for the fans. It was to satisfy Lorraine Williams, their boss, who was only demanding them to continue doing it at a feverish pace to pay down debt. Unbelievably bad business sense. If you are in a business, the first mistake you make is not listening to your base. They're the ones loyal to you. They're the ones that are gonna buy your products. If you don't listen to them, then they're going to go somewhere else. And in the 90s, they did. Between White Wolf... um, uh, What was the other one? Uh, The other big one. I can't remember right now. But White Wolf was one of the huge ones. It completely changed gaming uh, in the industry. and going from hack and slash to role playing. And that promptly forced TSR to realize, oh shoot, we need to create a whole new game. That then created the Saga system, which is famous for Dragonlance 5th Age Dramatic Gaming Supplement. And then also they, they uh, carried that gaming system out to the superhero Marvel uh, line that they were running as well. So, it's amazing seeing all of this from behind the curtain and realizing why they made the decisions that they did. And that's not even talking about the mini Uh, series uh, the minis that they were making initially and then realized that they couldn't keep up and so they just sort of abandoned and sold the rights to um ral partha it's just every business decision they made they got into for the wrong reasons and executed it poorly which led to their own imminent demise scorned everyone that ever worked for them But then comes in Wizards of the Coast through the Five Rings uh, game publishers, who sort of brokered the deal and then went to Wizards behind Lorraine's back, because Lorraine didn't like them, uh, because Magic the Gathering. She didn't like Wizards of the Coast as a company, she didn't like Magic the Gathering as a game, Uh, she didn't like any of that. Spellfire. Spellfire would have actually given Magic the Gathering a run for their money, but Lorraine refused to entertain the idea because she didn't like the idea of a card game. She thought it was a stupid idea, even though it made TSR tons of money in the limited amount of time that they produced those cards. And even though the artwork was all recycled garbage artwork and the fan base was complaining about it. If Lorraine would have listened to the fans, actually had original artwork for that, and that series, and continued to pump out those cards, they would have made millions of dollars, just like Magic the Gathering slash Wizards of the Coast did. But she had no idea because she's not a gamer. She doesn't understand it. And so she refused to entertain the possibility of it and sank TSR because of it. So (laughs) they wasted money on Buck Rogers, on embroidery companies, on miniature companies, on DC West uh, trying to sort of do the comic module thing so as not to piss off DC Comics exclusivity deal. Their book department... Um, was uh, fully independent by 1990, uh, doing their own thing. Um, Then they started putting out sort of introductory to D&D and advanced uh, D&D CD-ROMs and games like Dragon Strike Board Game, which had like a VHS counterpart to it that's supposed to teach people. But they had someone produce the game, uh, VHS, without the finalized game details, and so the product didn't make any sense and didn't sell at all. And so when it came time to reprint um, the game, the buyers came back and said, "Look, we need to reprint like 50,000, but no more than that. It doesn't make sense. People aren't really buying this, but at least it'll be on the shelves and it'll be fresh in people's minds for gifts and such." Lorraine ordered 150,000 of them. Why? I don't know. <laughs> because i guess and so it completely tanked they just had tons of this game that no one ever wanted it cost them an insane amount of money that is now just more and more debt she was the worst business person ever um And then they did that CD-ROM, which actually did really well. But they made an exclusivity deal with Babbage's and they went under, which meant that the CD-ROM exclusivity deal went under as well. And so they couldn't produce any more of those. It was just the biggest debacle ever. And it all came down to Lorraine Williams being way over her head in a gaming world that she didn't understand in the first place. That's really all it came down to. And it sucks as fans because ultimately if it wasn't for Wizards of the Coast buying out Dungeons & Dragons because the CEO was a huge fan of D&D, we would not be playing this game at all anymore. It would not exist. Like, that's it. So as much as we complain about Wizards of the Coast, you have to tip your cap to the CEO at the time because it would not exist. None of this, third edition, fourth edition, and fifth edition would have ever existed if it were not for Wizards of the Coast. Um, and because he was a huge fan of Gary Gygax, Dave Arneson, and Dungeons and Dragons. And that's it, They Wizards of the Coast are actually gamers who love gaming. So I did not enjoy third edition very much at all, though I played it a lot. I did not enjoy 4th edition very much at all, though I played it a little. And I don't really enjoy 5th edition at all, but I'm playing it because Dragonlance is in it. And that's really the lifespan of, of the gamer, right? For some crazy reason, we think we have to play the latest edition. The only reason why they make new editions is to sell more books. It's all profit motive. It's not fan motivated they're not trying to give you the best product they're trying to give you the best product of the new edition so that you'll buy it but they're not doing it out of the goodness of their hearts so that you as a gamer get the best experience we already had the best experience that already exists and it will continue to exist in pdf form you know if you want to buy the the books at you know exuberant prices then exorbitant prices is where i was looking for then go ahead but you know you don't really need to at this point So it just blows my mind that I, one, I never understood why they were pumping out so many different campaign worlds. And then, now that I understand why, it makes total sense why they failed. Because of brand loyalty. And then Wizards of the Coast, knowing that, refuses to have any exclusive logos in any of their 5th edition stuff. Because they don't want their base to be brand loyal to anything but Dungeons & Dragons. It's amazing. And this book explained all of it, but this book does more than just the business aspect of it, the gaming decision aspect of it. It talks about the different people, all the game designers that we have grown to love, all the authors that we have grown to love, all the artists that we have grown to love. It talks to them in their own words. They describe their experiences in the time, what it was like, and it's amazing. It's a genuinely entertaining and good book. I highly recommend it to every single person out there. Yeah, thousands and PDFs. Yeah, man. I mean, it's what are you gonna do? You know, I I love games, and so I'm gonna continue to buy them, especially after I gave all my gaming materials away like an idiot to a friend, whom I don't even really interact with anymore. And I'll be damned if I'm gonna ask for them back. That's terrible. And so I just buy PDFs of everything I used to have. <laughs> and that's it. it. Just saves me all the headache. So the book does much more than explain the business decisions. Uh, so yes, Commander Bond, 007. 007, it is definitely a good book. Let's see. Um, what do you think the company would look like today if TSR was still around? If TSR was still around in the iteration that it was, it wouldn't be around because they didn't know how to run a business. They The business would have gone full tits up, which it almost did if it wasn't for Wizards of the Coast. Um, it would have just gone bankrupt and Dungeons and & Dragons would have been sold off to the great highest bidder. But what was crazy about it is that each different Piece of Dungeons & Dragons was its own intellectual property. So, Player's Handbook, Dungeon Master's Guide, and Monster Manual were separate properties. And so if it did go up on the auction block, arguably, you could have three different groups owning the Player's Handbook, the Dungeon Master's Guide, and the Monster Manual. So you don't have Dungeons & Dragons anymore. You have three aspects of Dungeons & Dragons owned by three different companies doing whatever they want with those titles. It's crazy to think about because we had Wizards of the Coast save it. But if they didn't, it it would just be a a, a dim memory. You know, it's wild. Uh, You definitely slept at the time. We're going to now. You're wrong to ignore the saga system. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it was great. And it's still out there. You can still pick up the stuff if you guys ever want to play it. See, that's why DC Comics stopped. Yes, so daft you love those. That's very frustrating. I agree, Court. Uh, the DC Comics were a lot of fun, but TSR screwed them, and they undercut it in the market. So what You know what could they do? Let someone else sell the exact same Dungeons & Dragons comics at lesser quality, lesser storytelling, and and they make the money? Meanwhile, you're sitting with your hand up your butt because you don't know... You know you can't you can't produce anything because they're already producing it. So instead, they just told them to f off. <laughs> Pretty awesome. Does the book talk about the literal sunken ship TSR bought? You heard several people reference that. It references a ship, but it doesn't really spend a lot of time on it. It just it, it's sort of like a flippant aside about how how absurd TSR was with buying things and how little sense it made that they did. It really focuses heavily on the gaming side of the industry and the gaming side of TSR over those types of flubs. But it's even-handed. Like, throughout the book, uh, the author is doing a really great job of not just shitting on Lorraine Williams, but actually trying to understand the motivations and the decisions that she makes through the people that would talk to him about her. And admittedly, he, you know, he straight up says like, there's some things that I just don't know. And so I have to speculate on And this is me speculating here. And so he clearly, you know, puts down, this is fact, this is speculation, but the the vast majority of this, like 99% of this book is all fact because it's from the people that were there who experienced it firsthand and the people that ended up buying TSR and their experience firsthand. And I think that is invaluable when you're telling a story about a company like TSR. So what do you think? Um, let's see. Uh, they missed the boat on licensing, movies, video games, TV shows. They dipped their toys into, but not enough and not well at all. They just didn't know how to break into the, the business. You know? These were not George Lucas visionaries. These were gamers who knew one thing, Gaming. They didn't understand licensing deals. They didn't understand how to make films. All Gary Gygax could do was get that cartoon made. And I think that was like three seasons. And it didn't even end with a satisfying ending. Because they didn't want to produce it anymore. It was cancelled. Maybe it was only two seasons. I can't even remember. But it wasn't good. Like I loved it as a kid. Because I liked Dungeons and Dragons. You know. And I, I loved the action figures. I had the knight action figure. It was awesome. But you know. They had no idea about how to do any of it. And the, they didn't want to spend the big money, except for in the book um, department deal, but they didn't want to spend the big money in order to get industry leaders in order to do it. They just wanted to go from within to save money and have them try to figure it out from you know, ins- people already inside the company. And you just can't do that. You have to buy professionals in the field that you want to break into. Otherwise, you're going to fail. And that's what they did. So let's see. You're super into reading the interviews from actual creators. Uh, you convinced me just order it. Oh, good. I hope you enjoy it. I I wasn't sure how I would react to it. I didn't really have any connection to the gaming um, industry at all, but I just love Dungeons and Dragons and I love Dragonlance. So after reading it, I was just like, oh, this is <laughs> this is amazing. I couldn't put it down. It was it's that good. All right. So anyway, that's all I have for this. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. That is my review of *Slaying the Dragon: A Secret History of Dungeons and Dragons* by Ben Riggs. He did allude to a sequel about the Wizards of the Coast era, and if he goes into the details that he did in this, I would love. to hear about the mistakes they made with third edition and fourth edition and now with fifth edition as they're moving on to one D&D, which is sixth edition, even though I know they say it's backwards compatible. and They've already broken that rule in some instances, but um, they're continually to make the same mistakes that TSR once did in some ways. And though they're not, you know, they have the capital in order to make mistakes, TSR didn't. And so it may not be a big deal to them, but Dungeons & Dragons is going in a direction that is wildly different from its original intent. And it's precisely because of the reason that they're trying to do. And that is, speak to the widest audience possible. The problem is, gamers have never been a wide audience. Yes, people got into it in COVID panic era... And that surged people who never even played it before and opened people's eyes to it. But that's diminishing now because they're not gamers. They were just trying to find something to do in the time that they had. And they're not passionate about it because they didn't grow up doing it. The people that are passionate about it, that love it, that actually are still playing it after 40 years or 50 years, are the people that are gonna continue to buy the product. So why are you gonna cut them out of it? And I think this is my prediction. We're going to see one D&D tank and they're going to do a massive pivot. And whether they call it 7th edition or 6th edition, whatever they decide to call it, it's going to change because they have to or else they're just not going to continue to sell because they're not speaking to the audience that actually buys the books. That's how I see it anyway. Thoughts on the new movie? It's not out so I can't give you any thoughts. I will tell you this. I heard from Dungeon Craft Channel, who is actually really great about this stuff, uh, looking into the business side of of Wizards of the Coast, that Hasbro is selling its movie division before the Dungeons & Dragons film is released. That tells me that it's not a good movie. If it was good, they would keep the movie division because it would be profitable. But if it's bad, like every other Dungeons and Dragons movie ever made full stop, why would they keep the division? They need to sell it, make some money off of it before it tanks. So I think it's going to be garbage just based on Hasbro's choice to sell it. But who knows? So um, I did actually today, I received my Dungeons and Dragons Shadow of the Dragon Queen deluxe bundle, which is... 10 days after I was supposed to have received it, after I pre-ordered it back in August. So 10 days later on a gaming product that is supposed to be delivered on time, I will never order through Wizards of the Coast again. They didn't shit the orders themselves. They went through a third-party distributor. And that third-party distributor shit the bed. And I'll just never do that again. It was garbage. So if you're smart... If you really want the digital bundle, buy the digital product when it's available and then order through a different distributor like Amazon or someone, you know, some other gaming company, maybe a local gaming store, because then you'll actually get the product on time and you can play the game when you were supposed to be playing the game. If it wasn't for Derek, we would not have played last weekend. So thank you, Derek, so much for giving me your copy that you got on release day. And I just dr- drove over to his house and gave him my. Uh, copy, uh, brand new copy because he gave me his brand new copy. So finally that's taken care of. And it's no longer looming over my head. Uh, anyway, I, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm reading a, a new, uh, Dragonlance book today. So I'll probably have a new review next week. I've had a couple different people who have released Dragonlance products through DMs Guild want me to review their product. And so I'm having a conversation tomorrow with uh, Splinterverse Media, I think it is, with their Dragonlance Companion release. And then next week, I'm going to try to get together with the other uh, individual that was releasing their product as well. Um, But I think that's going to be the end of it. I'm no longer going to do product reviews for third-party distributors. Quite frankly, it's because I, I just don't play them. And so I'm not going to... I'm not going to review them. I just don't know. I don't enjoy 5th edition enough to care. So I'm no longer going to do those reviews. I'm going to go back to just doing book reviews. And um, official product releases. And that's it. So um, if you were excited to. You know get into. Like a bunch of reviews of. A new DM's Guild Dragonlance releases. You're not going to get it on this channel. You'll have to go somewhere else for that. Um, I'm reading The Inheritance. It's a book that was released about. Tannis's parents and it's great so far great it's after the new adventures series of books in dragonlance that i read it is so refreshing to go back to an actually good dragonlance book and i am loving it oh i can't wait yeah court we're going to talk about tomorrow so anyway thank you guys so much once again i would like to take a moment and remind you to subscribe to this youtube channel click the like button It helps not just me, but other Dragonland fans fans learn about this channel and its content. And there is a ton of content I've created and I'm continuing to create for this channel. So please check it out. It it takes a significant amount of my life to do it. And I do it because I love doing it, but it's reciprocal here. (laughs) If you don't watch it, I'm not going to continue producing it. So please check out some of the other, uh, you know, different videos that I produce. It, it just lets me know that you actually care that I'm doing it. Otherwise, I just, I'll stop because I'm not just going to shout in the darkness. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's weird. Um, this channel is all about celebrating the Dragonlance Saga. And I hope that you will continue to join me in that celebration. This has been Adam with Dragonlance Saga. And until next time, Sláinte